Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. PFP. That's the nothing personal word of the day. It is Valentine's Day, February 14th, 2024. Lean over, nudge the person you love, pick up the phone. Just don't text unless that's your thing, and it shouldn't be. PFP stands for Pitchers Fielding Practice. Those are the drills that happen in spring training on day one. We've told you that Today is the day that teams report, you get your physical, there's all these different stations, the players come, they're in their flip-flops or slides and socks, no unis, no one is allowed officially on the field prior to passing a physical. But of course, players are on the field before a physical happens, but they shouldn't be, but they are. So you have different stations, you have to pee in a cup, then you see the doctor or the orthopod, get your eyes, teeth, everything's checked, your hearing, you get an EKG, you get your blood taken out. Then the doctor, through the trainer, gets to the GM, comes up to the office at Roger Dean or wherever your spring training facility is, and says, all right, everyone's done. We're good to go except for blank. So each year there's one guy, usually an invite, it's not one of your main players, but it's a major league invite or a minor league invite with an invitation to spring training or a minor league contract with an invitation to spring training. And they'll say to you, hey, you know, John Doe, uh, we're not passing him. Looks like his arm's gonna fall off. And the reason why that's important is we don't want anyone at all to take the field. And if you're a pitcher on day one, there's bullpen sessions. We don't want someone to do a bullpen session and then be hurt, and then it's workers' comp. Workers' comp is the conduit to getting a player back into physically able to perform shape, and it's the responsibility of the club for which he last played. So if a guy is injured, you don't want him taking the field. One time we had a player, Koku, passed the physical, we're going to the bullpens, he's throwing a bullpen, he's throwing 60. He looks like I would look throwing a ball. And we're looking at him and we're looking at the manager and the pitching coach. We're like, get him off the field. So somehow he passed his physical, but we took him off the field and released him immediately because we don't want you throwing 90 day one, which some of the invites do thinking, Hey, I need to make the bullpen. Here's an idea. Let me blow it out day one of bullpens. So we always say during the first team meeting when pitchers and catchers have reported, you're not gonna make the team today. There is no reason at all to go out there and throw at your max level. This is spring training, work into it. No decisions today. But of course, invariably, there's always the eager kid with the bringing the apple to school, putting it on the teacher's desk, maybe putting a needle in it 
going full oppie, but throw in 90, 92, 94, and we'd pull him aside and say, listen, do me a favor and just ease up a little bit. So people pass their physicals, then you do the team meeting, and the team meeting has a very, very structured order. It starts off with the manager, and the manager then introduces people who address the team. You've got the traveling secretary who addresses the team. You have the clubhouse manager who always says, shout out to John Silverman, his first year, not at spring training in 45 plus years. The Marlins moved on. The new clubby in, in uh, Florida with the Marlins is a great, great kid. His name is Bean. He's not a kid anymore. He's a dad. He's an amazing guy. Used to be Chef Bean. Now he's head of the clubhouse. So the big thing you say is, hey guys, do me a favor, hang up your hat, put your jocks and socks in the net, make it easy for all these kids here. And they introduce the kids who are gonna do the laundry, et cetera. And the tip drive begins. Then the trainer comes out and says, hey, use sunscreen, we're in Florida. You don't wanna miss time for a sunburn. So we keep a lot of sunscreen around, of course, we do that to mix with rosin to doctor the ball, but hey, use sunscreen so you don't get sunburned. Then you've got the coaches, the hitting coach will come out and say something, the base running coach will come out and say something, the GM will say something. Hey, we put this team together with an eye toward winning. We love you guys, we love this team. I would always say something like, my big thing in spring training would be, please do not get pulled over for DUI. Here's the name of a driver. Here's my cell phone number. We would have drivers at the ready for players in Florida during spring training because the police in Jupiter, they absolutely had huge desire to pull over players or Tony La Russa. They loved the idea because it's good PR for them in their mind, keeping the streets safe for the 90 year old Canadians. So we'd say, hey, just be smart, get your work done, and then you take the field. And the way the players know where to go is there's charts right at the exit to the fields, which shows what groups they're in, what field they have to report to. And one of the things that pitchers do day one is pitchers fielding practice. That's when they line up at the mound, then one of the coaches rolls a ball to the pitcher, then you've got an infielder at third base, two, two, one, one. Two means throw it to second base because there's a man on first and in a sacrifice bunt situation, we're gonna try to get the lead runner. One is throw to first base and get the out. So you've got a coach at first base, you've got a play, a catcher, an actual one of your catchers who's there at spring training, roll the ball out and yells two or one and then the pitcher does it. Then you hit a fungo to the first baseman or sometimes to a coach who's playing first and then you start on the mound and you run to first base to cover. Little things that you think won't matter. Pitchers can't stand PFP, but how many times during a game, during the regular season, do you screw up a PFP? Or the pitcher throws it into center field, or the pitcher has the yips and underhands it to first or lofts it toward the uh, first base dugout seats. So PFP happens and you do these drills and then there's BP and you've got people behind the screen, the hitting coach, the assistant hitting coach, the assistant to the assistant hitting coach, and they put their arms up. I always got a, uh, which I was thankful because as president of the team, 
I had a few things that were done for me, including a stool, because the way the batting practice cages, there's a cage behind the plate, if you've ever seen BP, and there's a seam at the batting cage, which is a padded line. And for whatever reason, that padded line is exactly my size. So either I'm doing a calf workout on my tiptoes, or I get a little stool to stand up. Or I stand on the side if there's not enough stools, whatever the case may be, you're watching BP and it happened with the Dodgers yesterday, it was so good. Otani feels ready for opening day, hits 10 home runs during BP. It's such a joke. Yeah, there's a lot of evaluation of players done during the first few days of spring training in the cage. We make all our decisions then, what the batting order is gonna be, who's gonna make the team. We even decide who we're gonna extend based on BP in the first few days of spring training. G-M-A-B. But Otani's ready. Dodgers had about 69 members of the press trying to get used to it. All the players are all happy in LA. Freeman and Betts, top four MVP players. Otani, the MVP. Three of the top four in one-on-one -on -one team. All excited about their team and their lineup and getting used to what the press will be, deciding how long Otani and how often Otani will ever speak to the press. Otani said, I feel like a rookie again. Um, as though he's meeting players for the first time. It's so funny what we all say during spring training. And the manager has to meet the media and the media gets to speak to the players and the GM speaks to the media, the president speaks to the media and everyone does the same thing. And so spring training starting yet over in one corner, sitting at his house is Scott Boras. And he is looking at his players and saying, hey, Jordan, Montgomery, you're gonna get your ring, don't worry. Hey, Cody Bellinger, yeah, I told you you'd get 200 million, sorry, hang in there. We're not quite at the end, I promise. Hey, Blake, Cy Young Blake Snell, love you, man. I wish you weren't a five and diver, we'll get you signed, don't worry. Hey, Chappie, you'll get in there. Don't forget Boris represents Matt Chapman. Four people, nada, not signed. Who's panicked? Raise your hand if you're sure. Scott Boris is panicked and I dig it. Does Cody Bellinger get another pillow contract like he did with the Cubs last year? Does Blake Snell not get the five-year deal? Does he not get the $200 million? Does Texas look at their new TV deal and say, hey, we can take Jordan now? I'm keeping my eyes open for the rest of this segment if you're watching on Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. And starting right now, I'm not going to blink. Here we go, ready? Hold on, I started blinking, here we go. Now I'm really not gonna blink. My name is David Sampson. I'm a former president of a major league baseball team and there's a lot of good free agents available. Oh God, I couldn't do it. I, can't, I, I always lost staring contests. For whatever reason, I have zero discipline when it comes to blinking. Front offices. And I know you listen, and I appreciate it. And I know you listen to Foul Territory. I appreciate that too. Great show. Great to see AJ and Todd again. The reason why you don't need to blink if you're in the front office is because you don't need those players. 
They need you because tick-tock, tick-tock. They're not going to sit out a year. They're not going to get a year older without getting paid. It's totally unreasonable to think that. You don't have to give in to Boras's demands. We are at February 14th. What Scott's going to say is, hey, season doesn't start. I mean, Dodgers and Padres March 20th, but everybody else March 20, 20, the 28th. Do I have that right? I can't believe it's not in my head. Coca, help me, Rhonda. I think the season starts in full March 28th, but I was going to say March 31st. And I have it in my calendar, but I'm not going to look because Coca's going to look. So Boris is going to say to his players, hey, I promise you on March 28th, you'll be there. In the meantime, you're reporting to my camp and we're going to have a full spring training. This is what Boris does to make the players feel better. We're going to do PFP. We're going to have BP. We're going to get you ready. We're going to stretch you out. Jordan, when you sign, you will be ready to go 100 pitches to start the season with Texas when they raise the flag and give out the rings. Cody, you're going to get your 40 to 50 spring training at bats. Don't you worry. It's going to happen. Well, I've got a little prediction to make. A little wait to see when I say something's going to happen. And if it does, great. If not, great. I'm going to go pretty detailed here. So pay attention, Matt, because it's going to take up some space in the tracking document. First, out of Montgomery, Snell, and Bellinger, at least one of those three is going to have to take a pillow deal. And my definition of a pillow deal is two years or fewer with an opt-out after the first year. Two years or fewer, which means either two or one. Very good, Coca. I thank you for being in my ear with that. And if it's a two-year deal, there's an opt-out after the first year. One of those three is going to have to take it. And then I'm going to do a wait to see on each of the players. I think the Texas Rangers re-sign Montgomery. I think the Chicago Cubs re-sign Cody Bellinger. And I think that in an effort to save their jobs for an unprecedented fourth year in a row, Blake Snell is going to go to the Yankees. What are you asking me? What are you saying? Yes, Conforto. He did have that. He had the two-year deal last year, the Boris client. I know of what I speak, but I wasn't going to tell the audience. I was going to have them remember. All right, I'm going to help the audience. Do you remember Michael Conforto last year, the former Met, who all of a sudden went to the Giants after they didn't get Judge, and he signed that two-year deal? 36 million and we said, oh, way to go, Giants. Ridiculous. Well, they've replaced him with Solaire. So that's the way to see. Montgomery, Texas, Bellinger Cubs, Snell, New York, and one of them, at least one, gets that pillow deal. None of the players, that would have been my easiest way to see, none of the players will sign with the Oakland A's. There. Let's talk about Oakland. I was sitting around, what was I doing yesterday? It was a snow day, not for us, but I was sitting around and doing what you do on a snow day, roasting chestnuts by the open fire, not making snowmen or snowballs. And all of a sudden, doo -doo, I think that's my imitation of my text alert, Coca. And he sends me the text of the article by John Shea in San Francisco that today the Oakland A's and Alameda County are going to have a meeting 
about extending the lease at the Oakland Coliseum. <gasps> Could this be it? Is that the end of the A's moving to Vegas? No. Is it Oakland staying in Oakland past 2024 in a potentially smallly renovated Oakland Coliseum? No. Is it all the pressure of the fantastic people of Oakland who have been trying to boycott, put on fan fests and all the great things they've done, getting John Fisher to sell? Is this step one of that? No. This is the commissioner telling John Fisher, dude, you need a place to play in 25. You can go around to Sacramento all you want and to Salt Lake City, and frankly, you can beg Larry Bear and the San Francisco Giants to split time with them in Oracle Park and GTH. But your best bet, because you're gonna wanna keep your TV money, is the Oakland Coliseum. So it's time for you to go and meet with them. And let me tell you how this meeting's gonna go. Because there's a lot of people on the interweb who would like the government in Oakland and the mayor specifically, they would like her to be super strong and follow through on the demands that she made. If Oakland wants to stay here past 24, we demand an expansion team. Not gonna happen. We demand that the name A's stays in Oakland. Not gonna happen. What is realistic for a meeting like that? So I've had meetings exactly like this. It's the first meeting following the coldest of wars with a governmental entity and with specific people in the government. You plan the meeting. You have anxiety about the meeting. First decision, location. We don't know where it is, but if John Fisher's smart, he sends Dave Cavill, the team president. John Fisher doesn't go to first meetings, never send the owner to a first meeting. Frankly, you only send the owner when, when it's all done. But you go to them. So this meeting should be in the mayor's office. So you're all anxious and you put on your suit and tie and you talk to your PR people about what you're gonna say to the media afterwards and you talk to your business advisors and your, your owner about what's the icebreaker? How do those meetings start? I remember exactly how my first meeting went with Mayor Manny Diaz after we had not spoken for a very long period of time. And I remember thinking to myself how I wanted to deliver my first line with a, I needed an icebreaker. And so I walked in and I said, great to see you, can I have a drink? And the reason I said that is I knew that business gets done over a drink on the golf course. I know that in the mayor's office, there was a bar much like in my office too. That's, it's not uncommon. I knew we weren't gonna go out in public. So I started with that. And then I went right to subjugation. I don't care if the Oakland A's end up, I don't wanna say it that way, 4869, Coco, wipe that, it's not right. I don't want the Oakland A's to move to Vegas because I want the people in Oakland to have their team and Oakland should have a team. It's better for baseball. It's better for the business of baseball. And the cherry and the chocolate fudge is that that would make me really right and I can take a lot of receipts. But there is no getting to that point without getting through this first meeting. 
Subjugation is the word. And if it had been the lead story, I would have made it the word of the day. Subjugation is what Cavill's gonna have to do in this meeting. He is going to have to genuflect in their general direction while crossing his fingers and toes. He's gonna have to tell them things that will make the hair on the back of his neck stand up straight. And he's gonna have to do it as though he's trying to win an Oscar because he doesn't feel it. He can't show desperation. He can't show resolve. He has to show calmness, apologetic words, thankfulness for the opportunity to sit down and for the time they're giving him. And then it's the glimmer of the path forward. Because this meeting about a lease extension the A's have to convince the government that it's not just about a lease extension because why would the A's, excuse me, why would the government want to meet only about a lease extension? There's nothing in it for them. It's the A's who need the extension. So when you need something in a negotiation, you have to give carrots. You have to let it be known that you'd like something else, that your goal is something else that matches the goal of the person you're negotiating with. And the goal of the mayor and the government in Oakland is to get Fisher to sell, not gonna happen. The secondary goal is to get Fisher to stay and get a ballpark done and get past this. So you've gotta say early on in the meeting, I'm thankful that we are talking again. And my mind and the mind of Major League Baseball and John Fisher is absolutely open to a stadium deal. Now, the most interesting part is what happens after the meeting with what's both leaked to the press and what is said straight up by the people in the meeting. Because if you think the mayor, who has been very out front of what she demands, what she wants, the fact that she hasn't spoken to John, she schlepped to the All-Star game to meet with Rob Manford, hasn't spoken to him since. If you think she's not gonna speak to the press, then you're wrong. But here's what I am looking for. I don't want her to speak to the press. I want her to realize that her best chance of success in keeping the Oakland A's in Oakland is to zip it. However, I am going as the mayor to make sure that someone in the media has the story of what happened. And then I'm gonna protest and call up the commissioner and say, I can't believe it leaked, it's outrageous. I'm so sorry. But what I want leaked out is that the A's have blinked. I want it leaked out that finally there is conversation and we are hopeful. But I don't want it coming from the mayor directly. I want it coming from a source, a leak. From the A standpoint, there is no upside to them saying anything because every time their lips move, it has turned out to be a lie, incorrect. No good information has come from anything they've done. So if they're serious, and if we're looking for seriousness, then the hope is that they'll stay quiet. And if they do have to say something, I'd prefer it just to be, hey, listen, of course we need to explore our options because you heard the commissioner say, 
we need a place to play and he's losing his mind about it. So we have to look at all possibilities. And of course, Oakland has always been a possibility for the interim period. Because what the Oakland A's can't do is anger Vegas and the politicians in Vegas and embolden the lawsuits and embolden all the people who are anti that team moving. They can't give them an opening to say, oh, you've been using us the whole time. You're gonna stay in Oakland. We're gonna withdraw all community support. So you have to keep both doors open. So this is a fascinating day in the Oakland A's situation. Let's make sure we pay attention to what happens after the meeting and we'll come back to it tomorrow or whenever word comes out about what happened. But that is my prediction of how it will go. Subjugation, baby. All right. Ooh, play some music, Coca. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Get on my Twitter at David P. Samson or go to davidsampsonpodcast.com. For whatever reason, Coca, we need to drop a 4869 shirt, just 4-8-69 with the NPDS logo because I've gotten a lot of requests for that shirt. So we're doing that. Thank you for going on davidsampsonpodcast.com. You can get all of our past shows. You can get our tracking document, which shows the wait to seize and the reviews and everything else. And you can ask a question. So you wanna to talk to Samson comes from the movie Half-Baked. Jen Powell is among 24 minor league umpires who have been assigned full-time as fill-ins for spring training games, and 21 will be assigned for fill-ins during the regular season. Looks like a gender barrier is breaking in baseball. Thoughts? That was actually a DM on Twitter, and I left out the word secondly, which started the question, and there wasn't even a hello, David, unless it was in the firstly, because this person had two questions. You better get to know the name Jen Powell, because she's going down in history. Jen Powell, who came up through the umpire camps, led by Michael Hill, former president of baseball operations for the Marlins, former GM of the Marlins, former AGM of the Marlins, very, very close, outstanding, works in the commissioner's office, head of on-field operations, runs the umpires, has done unbelievable things for diversity pipelines and the front offices, umpires everywhere. I joked with him recently, there's only one thing you haven't done because I still see Angel Hernandez as one of your umpires. He's like, David, stop it. No, no, Mike, you stop it. Angel Hernandez. Anyway, so what Michael has done with these umpire camps and with these pipelines, there are multiple women, like nine women who are in the pipeline who are trying to be major league umpires. The way you become a major league umpire is first you have to be a minor league umpire and you've gotta be the best. Then you're a minor league umpire crew chief at AAA. Then you are a fill-in when major league umpires, believe it or not, go on vacation because all major league umpires go on vacation during the season, which always made me smile. Although it's sort of like teachers getting Christmas break and spring break, though they get all the summer off. Umpires get off from October and through February, but they take time off during the season. It's part of their collective bargaining agreement, which has to be negotiated this year, by the way. And when they go on vacation, minor league umpires are brought up to join the crew. So once you are a crew chief for AAA, one of the next steps is you become a fill-in umpire at the major league level. 
The interim step is that you get to do some spring training games, which is also really cool. So what's going to happen with Jen Powell is a name to answer your question. She's likely not. You're, you're, you're short by a year. I don't believe that she will actually get into a major league game this year as a fill-in, but I do believe she will be a major league umpire before the end of 2025. So this is going to be the last season of all of our lives without female umpires. And this has been a long time coming. All of the adjustments have been made, and I will admit it, and I'm okay, you know, times change. In 2009, when we were designing the stadium, Marlins Park, we had no dressing room for female coaches. We had no dressing room for female trainers. We had no dressing room for female umpires. All ballparks, including Marlins Park, no, I will not call it the ALCS, NLCS, brought to you by Lone Depot, Marlins Park. I guess I could, but I won't. Now, every ballpark has auxiliary dressing rooms where female umpires can change or female coaches can change. And that's how it should always have been. And the reason it didn't occur to me during the design is that it didn't occur to me that there were going to be female umpires or female people on the coaching staff. And I wonder why I was that way. And I wish that I had been more ahead of the curve. I wish that we had brought in more women to do things because they're equally as qualified as men. No question about it. And unfortunately, it's still very newsworthy when this happens. But the hope and the prayer and the belief is normalization. And normalization only happens with continued process, with continued promotion. And then you just see, for example, women referees in the NBA. It was a thing. Now it's just part of the game. Women are in positions where they always should have been, never have been, and now are. Doris Burke is calling the NBA Finals with Doc Rivers and Mike Breen. Oh, wait, Doc Rivers is a coach of the Bucks. Doc Rivers is not calling the NBA Finals with Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy and Doris Burke. Oh, no, they're not either. Ah, J.J. Redick. I knew I'd remember with Doris Burke. It was announced yesterday that the Oakland A's have hired the first ever woman play-by-play -play announcer, which is outstanding. Jenny Kavner is going to be the play-by-play full-time for the Oakland A's. WTSL, what took so long? I guess it used to be that women could only be sideline reporters. It's ridiculous. Men can be sideline reporters. Why not? It's, the whole thing's crazy. I'm looking for qualified. When we hire broadcasters, and I never considered a female broadcaster when we were hiring broadcasters. I never got a tape from a female broadcaster when we were hiring broadcasters. And I listened to hundreds and hundreds of tapes of people who wanted jobs. Now it's real, it's happening, and it makes me happy. All right, when we come back, it's time. I'm about to talk to you about Lost. We'll be right back. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. 
all backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Thank you for being with us. On January 19th, 2024, I was sitting in my theater, getting ready to watch content. And I, for whatever reason, and I'm relatively smart, not the smartest guy in the world, not the dumbest guy in the world. I don't quite get the algorithm of my streaming channels because I don't rate anything I watch. For whatever reason on that particular day, Lost came onto the screen. Coincidentally, about a week prior to that in the January 12th area, arena, period, my girlfriend had mentioned Lost to me as a show that she had watched when it was on. And I had said, I've never seen an episode, don't know one thing about it. I remember it being a thing, but I was in baseball, didn't know anything. And then I dropped it. Then it shows up on January 19th and I say, you know what? I'll watch the first episode of season one. And from January 19th to February 13th or 12th or 11th, I watched 121 episodes. And I would like to announce to you that it is one of the best series I've ever watched. And for those of you who are upset by the finale, I have the advantage. And the reason I have the advantage is that I binged it. If I had been watching Lost once a week, I would have gotten so confused. There's so many characters. There's so much screwing with timelines, flash backward, flash forward, flash sideways. So many characters, they're coming, they're going. You don't know what's happening. There are cliffhangers, the old fashioned cliffhangers, the type which play in May and you've got to wait till February to see what happens, like in the incident at the end of season three. If I had to wait that long, I would have lost my mind. But when you're binging it, you go from the finale of season three to episode one of season four, boom. For those of you who think that the crash on the island didn't happen, I didn't see it that way. My view of Lost is that the crash absolutely did happen. And what we saw in season six, which I loved, was a parallel universe that was only meant to get the characters back together so they could get to the church in the finale so they could walk through the light to the next step. It was all real. And the closing visual of the entire series with Vincent lying next to Jack Shepard as his eyes close, brings you back full circle to his eyes opening after the crash and him seeing the dog and everything that happened in between. A shout out to JJ Abrams, to the creators, to the writers, to the actors, to the crew who filmed on Hawaii for all those seasons. You provided spiritual awakening for me. You provided thoughts about mortality, thoughts about living your life, carpe diem, tempest fugit. You introduced me to Evangeline Lilly. Thank you. 
you made me realize that Matthew Fox is not just about Nev Campbell and Party of Five. You made me look up all these amazing actors like the guy who played John Locke, unbelievable. If you haven't seen Lost, watch it. If you saw it and were angry about the finale, binge it and you will have a totally different view. I am in a period of despondency right now. And after this has happened after I binged Breaking Bad, after I binged Better Call Saul, and it's happening now. Uh, it happened at the end of Ted Lasso, a little bit at the end of Mrs. Maisel. There, there, it lost became for a month of my life, everything. I was at 1.30 in the morning, I'm watching episodes until 6.30 when I'm starting to prep for our show live at eight o'clock. So I'm putting it out to all of you. And I'll tweet this out, Coca, today. My lost binge is done. I need another binge. The early candidates coming from my brother, Daniel, are either The Wire or Game of Thrones, two shows I have not seen. Coca says I won't like Game of Thrones and hasn't seen The Wire. But if there's other shows that you suggest I binge, and there's a lot, because I never used to watch TV, I would only watch movies. But now I need a new binge, but I'm not ready yet. It's sort of like breaking up with someone, you can't rebound immediately. Well, you can, but it's like only a 12 hour rebound. You can't do another one month rebound of a show. So I'm gonna need a minute, especially with the Oscars coming up, but I will need another binge. Okay. Nothing, personal pick of the day. Grayson Allen hit four free throws, four free throws. And the Kings plus five was a push because of that. The Suns beat the Kings by five. We are still 23 and 25. Let's talk about the Los Angeles Lakers. That was a total non sequitur. We were talking about the Kings and the Suns, but our pick for today is the Lakers plus five and a half over the Jazz. In an alternate universe, like maybe on the island, LeBron James would have accepted a trade to the Golden State Warriors, and he would have been teamed with Steph Curry right now. Article came out this morning, I don't know, was it in The Athletic? I don't know where it was, that the Warriors tried to trade for LeBron James at the deadline this year. And it was done owner to owner with Joe Lacob, who was speaking to Jeannie Buss. And what's funny about it, it was ESPN from Woj, excuse me. Not, I always assume everything's from The Athletic. ESPN from Woj and Ramona Shelburne. Thank you, Coco. So here's how this conversation goes. Hey, uh, Jeannie, it's Joe. Hey, what's up, Joe? What's shaking? Hey, just curious. Any interest in trading LeBron? Huh, hadn't quite considered that. NCTP. Yeah, but are you sure? He kept tweeting like the sand thing. And it looks like things are not great with you. Are you sure you don't want to move him? We've got a great package of Jordan Poole and draft picks. Um, Joe, you already traded Jordan Poole. Oh, yeah. Thank God. We could get him back from the Wizards, though, if you want him. I bet they'd send him back to us for a bag of baseballs. We play basketball, Joe, I know, but they wouldn't care. Just to get rid of Jordan Poole would be amazing. Jeannie Buss said no, except she said, do you know what would be okay? You can go ahead and call LeBron's agent and ask. LeBron's agent is Rich Paul. Jeannie Buss told Joe, hey, don't worry, tamper. Like Joe needed permission to tamper. 
Draymond Green doesn't need permission to tamper. Draymond Green's agent is Rich Paul. Draymond Green for sure spoke to Rich Paul. Hey, get LeBron to play here. In the real world of trades, it doesn't work that way. That's a great fantasy trade where your owner calls up an owner and before you know it, GMs are talking and trades are done and LeBron forms a super team to give Steph a chance to keep the dynasty going. LeBron gets a chance for another ring. Hey, I'm going after Bill or Michael. Wait, what is LeBron's number, Coca? Two with the Heat, one with the Cavs, one with the Lakers. So is he at four? I don't know if I'm right. I may be missing one, but I think I have that right. Two, one, one. So he's still two away from Jordan. Huh, I wonder whether he wants to chase a title with the Warriors. The Warriors are barely gonna make the playoffs. They're gonna have to get through a playing tournament just to make it, even though they're playing well, the Lakers are no better. Now, how about a trade to Minnesota to team up with A-Rod? That'd be good. How about teaming up with Doc Rivers to lose in the second round in Milwaukee? That'd be okay. What about to the Celtics? Do you think Jeannie Buss would trade LeBron James to the Celtics? Now that would be something. Never. So that trade's not gonna happen. So we've got the Lakers getting five and a half from the Jazz tonight. LeBron played 31 minutes last night in a 125-111 win over the Pistons. LeBron said, you know what? Back to back, I'll pass. So that's why the Lakers are getting five and a half. But guess what? The Lakers have a secret weapon. Spencer Dinwiddie. He also played 31 minutes last night. Scored six whole points. I'm taking the Lakers, plus five and a half versus the Jazz. Dinwiddie was in the news yesterday. If you haven't heard of him, he's the guy who was traded and then released because the Raptors didn't want to pay the million and a half. He signed with the Lakers and he had a provision put in his deal that he gets a dollar, Mortimer, if the Lakers win the title. And I looked at that and I was thinking, that is the greatest bonus I've ever seen in a contract. Why would he only want a dollar? I didn't know at the time that he had a deal in his Wizards contract that he got a dollar if the Wizards won the title and he put it there as a joke because he knew the Wizards could never win the title. So he wants to keep putting that in every contract. A team is fine with it. I loved putting bonuses in contracts for titles. I didn't love MVP bonuses because you can have an MVP from a bad team but a NBA Finals MVP or a World Series MVP, take a million dollars because we're gonna make tens of millions from winning a World Series all in over the course of the next 12 to 24 months after winning. So that's a good one. We've had so many funny clauses in there, funny promises made to players. One time our owner promised Jack McKeon a Mercedes if he won the World Series, and this was during 03 after he had hired him and Owners tend to promise things and just sort of forget about it if it's not in a contract. But he did buy Jack McKeon a Mercedes. I will give Jeffrey credit. And Jack, I don't know if he still has the car. He'd be 20 years old. I would assume he doesn't, but maybe he does. I mean, I'm sure he still has his tractor. Jack is still going strong. So we put clauses in, and the reason we put clauses in contracts with players that are sort of interesting, like plane tickets or suites or things like that, is that we assign values to all of these interesting bonuses. So if we have plane tickets in to fly family like Otani or Yamamoto had tickets for family to fly from Japan to LA, not to exceed $10,000, which is the price of a business class ticket one way, et cetera. 
So we monetize those clauses, meaning we assign a value to them. And at the end of the day, it's not necessarily about standing on ceremony and not giving players what they want. And I used to do that though, but it was never about it and it shouldn't have been about it. I would say no to players who wanted things like, hey, you're making enough money, you should already be an all-star. Or hey, you're making enough money, you should win the gold glove. Or hey, you're making enough money, fly your own parents to see your game or to see your debut. Very often draft picks want parents to be able to fly to see their major league debut. And I would always fight it. And my GMs would say, just do it, just do it. But I never liked the precedent of it. But the way things go now is these contracts have these bizarre things inside them because the players are getting so much more money than they ever did that then they like these clauses that at the end of the day are not that meaningful from a percentage standpoint, but they're cool to talk about in the clubhouse because players do talk about them. So you'll be sitting in the food room, eating a salad and a donut with an In-N-Out burger. And they'll be talking about, yeah, did you get this? I got that. What was your, what was your bonus for finishing third in the MVP? Players talk, they know each other's contracts. This Dinwiddie dollar, not significant, but a funny mention. All right, before we end, I wanted to say something briefly about what happened yesterday. Paramount Global let go 800 people. And people are upset that it was two days after the record Super Bowl. By the way, we had to wait to see on Friday that the Super Bowl would break the record of four years ago when 118 million watched the Chiefs and the Niners. It did. About 123 million watched it. I think it was the second most watched thing after the moon landing by number of people. And uh, two days later, Paramount laid off 800 people and people are equating laying off people so close to an event that shows how healthy and how great things are. Keep in mind that when it's announced that 123 million people watch the Super Bowl, that's not really what's driving revenue. What's driving revenue is the ad rate, which was 7 million per 30. What's driving revenue is whether or not they can charge more to be distributed on various platforms. But the fact of the matter is that all these media companies have been doing layoffs. And the reason the layoffs are happening is because after mergers, layoffs happen. Because that's the economy of, uh, the, of scale that you're looking for. You're gonna want no duplication of effort. There were people who I worked with at HQ who were impacted by these layoffs. And I don't wanna be George Clooney here from up in the air, but I do wanna say that the closing of one door, while you may not feel it today, will be the opening of another door that you're not picturing. And that wallowing in the upset of how close it was to the Super Bowl and how close it was to all the work you've done, feeling as though there's gonna be nothing that'll happen to me, I'm out of the industry forever. You're gonna land on your feet. And I know that when I left baseball, I knew I wanted to get into the media and I wanted to work for CBS or anybody. And CBS gave me a chance and now here at Metalark, you just never know what's going to happen. And if the only thing you're willing to embrace is that you don't want change, you're consigned to misery forever. If however you can embrace change, then all of a sudden these rough patches get really a whole lot smoother. 
So I'm thinking about all the people impacted today, all people who are ever impacted, and I look forward to following and hearing as everybody gets back on their feet doing something they love. Of course, from Paramount's standpoint, they're far less emotional about it, and they just Zoom people, send out emails, and say, hey, it's just business. Thanks for all your work in Vegas. This is nothing personal. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.